Hello and welcome to Warwick Podcasts. I'm here today with Izu Prasad, who is receiving an honorary graduate award from the University of Warwick. Izu Prasad is a leading and respected Guyanese business figure and philanthropist. He's also known for his support of human rights and democracy and has been honoured for his outstanding contributions in business and Indian history and culture. Amongst other things, he is the founder and chairman of the Demerara Distillers Group of Guyana, and he is the founder and chairman of the Institute of Private Enterprise Development of Guyana, which stimulates and finances entrepreneurs and small businesses. Izu Prasad is also an Associate Fellow of the University of Warwick Centre for Caribbean Studies. So first of all, Mr Prasad, congratulations on your honorary degree. You must be thrilled. Thank you. I'm more than thrilled. I'm overwhelmed. What does it mean to you personally to receive this award? Well, I think it's an honour I never thought I would ever receive, OK? So it's more than welcome. And uh, I must say thankful to the University of Warwick for honouring me in this way. Um, you're already involved. You have a role within the university as a fellow of the Centre for Caribbean Studies. Can you tell us a little bit about what that role involves and also the importance of the centre? I got involved in that over a decade ago. I was introduced at the university by Dr. David Davidin, who is professor at the university, has been, and he's also of Guyanese origin, has been here a long time, and he knows the Caribbean very well. So he's been an excellent uh, inspiration in many respects. And then when he and others asked me to become a fellow, I decided certainly yes because uh, I feel really honoured in that respect. Santa is very, very important because Caribbean is, well, sparsely, I wouldn't say heavily populated. It's very varied, uh, uh, but one thing in common, there's a thread that runs straight across, and that is the we're all part of the British history of the Caribbean, in that we're all co- former colonies of Britain. And there's a legacy there. There's a nearness to Britain than most other places. And if we can talk about your career, which is a fascinating story, because you started working originally in the cane fields of Guyana, and you've worked your way to be one of the most well-established and well-respected businessmen in the country, and also you've developed a very strong global presence as well. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about your journey, and also what drove you to achieve so much? Well, starting with my career, like most countries emerging out of colonial background. Educational standard was reasonably good. One of the legacy of the British was they left an excellent, so I know in Guyana more than most places, excellent educational system. So that really um, made me start thinking, what am I doing here? Should I remain in a sugar estate forever? But I did work on a sugar estate because jobs were very difficult to get. I worked for a short while as a store assistant in one of the departmental stores in Georgia and then moved back to the sugar estate. And the only job that was available was in the field or somewhere nearby. So I decided to take what I could get at the time. And it was just, well, it helped me in most no small measure because able to learn something about the workers, how they suffer. I went through that uh, period. I then got married, and I discussed it with my wife, and I decided, okay, now the time was right for me to get out of here. Higher education was my aim and objective. I came to Britain. We had some difficult, difficult times. 
at the very beginning, but after that it was not so difficult. Finally, I graduated and qualified as a chartered accountant, and I went into commercial undertaking, which was the second largest business in Guyana. Uh, it was a British company. Uh, this was the company I worked for before. <laughs> so you've come full circle. Full circle. This is the company that also had sugar estates. But I started in the finance division, and then within four years, I was the group chief accountant, management accountant. And in a sh another year, I was the group finance director in charge of all finances of the whole group. So that was a, what you call a meteoric rise. I was, I was the first such person to be appointed in that position. Formerly, all came from the UK. Then I thought, well, I had to do a little more than this. I got involved in some social work. We had a dictatorship that ran for a long period. Everything was destroyed. And to rebuild the structure of things, I conceived this idea of uh, helping people to help themselves. That is micro-business, small businesses. And that was the beginning. Today, that institution called IPED, Institute of Private Enterprise Development, is uh, the most recognized institution of its kind in the Caribbean, Commonwealth Caribbean. From the inception 22 years ago, that's was in 1986, uh, gave start to about 50,000 businesses, small and micro, mm. employing several thousands of people. It's genuinely inspirational and um, on two levels because firstly people are going to look to you and you're going to see an example of yes we can achieve anything that we want to if we put our mind to it. Secondly it's allowing people to help themselves, it's not patronising, it's setting up the infrastructure that must be extremely rewarding. Has been most rewarding to me because when I go wrong and I see what has been accomplished and I talk to young people they're overwhelmed. And then I started uh, the Guyana Youth Trust. The Prince of Wales was in Guyana in 90, let me see, was it now, in the year 2000. Prior to that, the British High Commissioner challenged me. If I could start an institution similar to what the Prince, Prince of Wales Trust in here in Britain, if, when the Prince of Wales visit Guyana in 2000, he's going to do the opening. He said, I give you six months. I did it in three months. That was a separate institution. And the Prince of Wales was in Guyana and on the 25th of May 2000. And he actually came, launched the, the project, and that was highly satisfactory. But I made it one condition which was different from the Prince of Wales Trust, and that is, from my own experience, if you give people money, they don't appreciate it. They don't want to repay it. They feel there is no obligation, so we said no. We're going to help persons. This was one part of the Prince of Wales Trust between the ages of 17 and 30, who's had some university education, but may have had to pack up early, or as people with technical education, we're prepared to give you a helping hand, providing you want to help yourself. We'll give you a loan, but you have to repay the loan at a reasonable rate of interest. But I financed that through, through iPad, the first organization, and from some donations too. So that has gone extremely well. All of this is all voluntary work. I take no fees, no expenses, and I've asked my directors on both institutions to forego all fees and expenses, to give something back to the country. And that's the key thing, isn't it, giving back? Giving back something to the community. 
Can I move on to talk about your, um, well, your passion, really, your devotion to promoting the Indian culture and history in Guyana? Can you tell me a bit about that? The passion is there. I, I promote all history in Guyana, not only Indian history. But Indian history was soft to my heart, having brought up as an Indian. Indian parentage to Guyana, we discovered we were losing something. And we decided in 1988, that was the 150th anniversary of the arrival of Indians in Guyana, something big had to be done. Well, uh, I approached the Indian High Commissioner, and he said to me, look, I know what you want to do, you want to do something major, but I would like to do something also. But the Indian government wants an invitation. So I went to see the president. I said, Mr. President, there are two major occasions in this country this year, 1988. One is the 150th anniversary of the arrival of Indians in Guyana, part of the population of this nation. They've contributed more than most, or like all others. We should celebrate it with pomp and pageantry. Immediately got in touch with his Minister of Foreign Affairs, extended an invitation. So then the second thing I said to him, and this year, the 1st of August is also going to be, going to be the 150th anniversary of the final emancipation of slaves, because that's when the apprenticeship system was abolished in 1834, but the slaves had to do five years apprenticeship work. And that finally came to an end on the 5th of May. That should also be celebrated. And I promise you we're going to celebrate the first, we're going to celebrate the second. He said, okay, done. And he called the minister again. And they formed the Commemoration Commission. We had five members, and I tell you this, it was one of the most incredible celebration ever seen. 150th anniversary of the arrival of Indians, and then the second one was the final emancipation of slaves. We all took part in that. We went to the airport to meet the guests coming from uh, Africa, coming uh, first from India, and it was a, an event of events. And as a result of that, we also built a monument to commemorate. There was one already for the Africans. We built a monument called the monument, Indian Monument Gardens in the form of a ship, because we all went to Guyana in ships. We all came in ships as a symbolic gesture. And it's a beautiful gardens in the heart of Georgia. And all of that was done voluntarily. What I'd like to ask is, um, given all of your experience, um, you've looked at the world around you and you've gone out and you've made a real positive change. If you look at, say, issues such as poverty, how, how would you try and tackle that? How would you try and deal with it? Poverty is something that occurs in a country when the whole system is unbalanced. It's uh, treat people at a certain level as if they don't exist. Mm. But most of those people, it's incredible. If you could instill something into them, how they could come up and able to help themselves. And poverty is not poverty forever. You could eradicate poverty, but you have to go about it in a systematic manner. Find out the root causes, how you could help these people. Giving them money alone is not the answer. It's like the old Chinese saying, give a man a fish, he'll want that fish every day. But if you teach that person to fish, and he could go and catch his own fish, he'll be self-supporting for the rest of his life. Well, Mr. Fisod, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.